0: so many feelings at the IEP table. In fact, sometimes our feelings are so big that we can lose sight of why we're even there. Welcome to the Special Education Inner Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher, and I brought with me today Janice, who is a person that you need to know. You need to hear her story, learn from her experience, and we're going to dive right in. Janice, thank you for being here today.
1: Oh, I'm really glad. Thanks, Catherine. I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right, so tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table?
1: Yes, well, um, you know, I must tell you that when our son Micah was maybe three or four or five, I'm not sure, we were at a table. I did not even know it was an IEP meeting. It was just a meeting um, to support uh, his growth. And, uh, you know, I can remember sitting at those, that little table and the little chairs and having no idea what was going on? And I was a social worker. So I, I mean, I sort of knew systems and services, but I didn't know. And in part, I didn't know because I still was learning what this all meant. And uh, so Micah, who is now seven, 37 years old, um, I used to be 37. <laughs> um, he um, is really, and our daughter Emma, who's four years younger, have really been the people who've taken me into the world of. Um, you know, disability and inclusion and social justice issues.
0: Yeah. So my brother is 44 with Down syndrome. Your son is 37. And I tell people all the time that that really was the very, very beginning of special education. Micah falls into that kind of first generation of fully educated adults with disabilities now. So like we're, they made it all the way through like services started, you know, when they're young and they can go through and that wasn't always the case for generations before them. So we, uh, you know, kind of have this experience of seeing things change, but not change so much. And so I, I love that you have, you have some books out, so tell everybody just kind of what you're. Um, what your message is, I know, let me just, let me just preface this for a minute. So our listeners know, you guys, I've got two master IEP coaches that did a book study on one of Janice's books, talking about parents and professionals collaborating. And they said, you need to get Janice out to our community because they need to hear what she has to say. So there we go. Let, let's go from there. Tell us about that book that you took this experience and kind of put it together.
1: Sure well you know i I must tell you that, in a general sense, when Michael was you know being um I knew that our life was going to be a bit different than a lot of my peers. I knew that there would be challenges. I really didn't know exactly what those challenges were. What I didn't anticipate is that the relationship with so many of the professionals who came into our life that that relationship would be challenging at times. Sometimes more challenging than having the child with a disability, and that hit me like uh, you know a ton of bricks because I was a social worker and had been on one side of that partnership, and now I was on a different you know in a different partnership. And so I remember going to the literally to the dictionary and looking up the word partner, and one of the definitions said two or more people dancing together, and I thought it is a dance and um, and so that sort of has been my metaphor, my falling back on to try to understand you know what what complicates this, and you know, I mean, one of the things that I talk about I'll just talk maybe two of of the differences is that it hit me. I didn't choose to be at this relationship, and the professionals on their good days, maybe not Friday afternoon, have made a very conscious choice. Um, to, to be there, not always to be with the families, but to be with the kids. And that impacts this dance because many times professionals are very eagerly awaiting their new dance partner. Come on in. I've got resources and I, I know about these labels and I've got new games. And so there's this a wanting. And we as parents who have often not chosen to be at this dance in this relationship, you know, it's like our backs are turned to them and we're not so eager to get on that dance floor. Yeah. So I, I found that that uh, that insight and shared it with other people. I thought it was just me. And then I said it to the, you know, it's sort of to the world. I can world. tell
0: you, it's not you. We have, yeah. I, I post this out on social media quite a bit. I, I have a, a quote that I put out there and I reframe it sometimes, but the concept is, you know, Parents did not choose to be at the IEP table. Parents did not go to school to be at the IEP table. Professionals, you have to remember, you chose a career that requires you to sit at this table. And whenever I post that, it gets shared and liked and out there. And it's amazing to me how many people don't think of that in when you go into that room. And you know what? I didn't think of it when I was a teacher. I was not thinking about that. But I will tell you, there, there's a line that I always encouraged my clients to say so there was a time where i worked one-on-ones with families and they would um at the IP table say you know what what we really want what we really want and i would say you have to framework that it's not what you want because you wish you weren't sitting at this table because we don't choose to sit at this hard table right here what your child needs is different than what you want and that communication is so important to differentiate that. So okay so we've got the, yeah. we've got the chance. yeah the
1: choice that. right yeah yes yes thank you for for putting that out there. I think the other thing and you so beautifully um began this podcast with this is this I I recognize it partly because I'm a social worker and my own sort of nature is that feelings are a very important aspect to everything, to parenting, to being a human being. And in fact, in one of my articles, I referred to when I'm talking about feelings, I I refer to feelings as the F word. Nobody wants to deal (laughs) with it, right? And not every teacher educator is gonna be comfortable, but I was, uh, nobody was willing to, to allow me to have the range of emotions or validate, validate. In part, you know, just saying, you know, this must, this must be hard, Janice, or you know, what keeps you up in the middle of the night, or I mean, that that aspect of of of, of the dances is very real. And I think one of the things I've learned over time is that um, lots of times when people think you have to validate their feelings, that they have to do something to make it better, and lots of times. The gift is being able to say, I can see how hard you're working as a parent or as a teacher, and it must be troubling not to get the result that, you know, everybody wants to have happen. And just, oh, I to- want to encourage
0: everybody right there, like put a reminder in your phone, make yourself a little sticky note that you have to reach out to somebody on your IEP team and tell them that you see them. Like we all need that, So this is a great reminder for you guys to take action. And it's not at the next IEP meeting, it's today. Today, just go tell them, I see what you did. Thank you. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely. When Micah graduated, if you will, from high school, we invited all the people that he had been in contact with just and honored the work that they they did, so yes. Yes, absolutely. So those are so you know that's how I use the dance and in my work, the book that I co authored with um, two other people um, is, uh, you know, a dance that matters or actually the first part is parents and professionals partnering with children with disabilities, a dance that matters. And so, yeah, so that metaphor has helped me has helped a lot of other people, you know, and at times we do step on each other's toes. Um, mostly not intentionally. And just to sort of riff on what you were saying, Catherine, that uh, that simple phrase is, hey, I messed up, I'm really sorry. It goes so far. Um, When I remember one particular um, teacher consultant called us and he had messed up and I was frustrated and he left a message on our answering machine, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to do it again. That was, I, I, you know, I apologize. And that in, it strengthened the partnership because he showed his vulnerability as well.
0: That's So, so hard. It's so hard to admit when you're wrong as a professional. And it's hard to admit when you're wrong as a parent. Also, when you realize like, oh, maybe what I was fighting so hard for is not necessarily The most appropriate right we don't use the word best when we're talking about ieps because the law says we get the most appropriate um program in there so you know we're looking for the most appropriate solution sometimes when i'm working with a parent and trying to show them different ways and i'm like if we can get to an agreed upon desired outcome so the outcome is we want a child to have friends that that's a desired outcome the way we get there can vary. So you as a social worker, you're going to see that one way. The teacher is going to see it another way. The parent's going to see it another way. And and so I always say it's not our job as parents on kind of this side of the table to always figure out the perfect path but it is important for us to find out what the destination is. And then we can use the experts to help do that. You know, I have a question for you being in the um, chaos. So we don't talk a whole lot about all the things that are happening, like in the world, in the news and all of that. But we do have this overwhelming feeling of devastation of failure, of not being able to keep up in special education right now because of everything that has happened. So when we started this podcast, we talked about feelings and I think it would be great to hear from you, maybe some words of encouragement or some strategies of, you know, if you have a teacher or a parent that are sitting, feeling like they're not doing enough or they're failing and we have the heaviness of everything that has happened, Where do they start in kind of picking themselves up and moving forward? Because it's not as easy as it was before.
1: Yeah, you're right. Well, you know, there's a phrase that popped into my head. Don't deny or despair. I mean, there are moments when you just have to sit with it. It's real. I mean, if we didn't feel some of that heaviness, I would really begin to question our sense of reality. So sometimes we just have to sit with it and hold it. And that's not easy to do because we want to quickly make it go away. Um, And when we going back to the validation, when we find a friend or a neighbor or a colleague who could say, you know, this this sucks. This is harder than anything I've ever been through. There's that camaraderie, that mirroring as well. You know, how do we then move so it's not that we turn our back on it? You know, we sort of bring it along but we began to move in and then a story comes to mind. Our daughter, as I mentioned earlier, Emma is a principal in Boston schools. And um, so she's in the thick of it as many people are, right? And um, you know, the school, the staff is doing their best and they're overwhelmed. They can't quite do everything they want to do. And she decided um, spontaneously that she would walk up and down the halls asking the kids a simple question, what are you most proud of that happened today? Oh, the kids zoned in on, you know, well, I I played the violin, you know, a new song, or I used the color red for the first time, or, you know, whatever it was. And at the end of like 40 minutes, she had collected all these different moments of, of joy, really, you know, and then shared it with the teachers. And so what she did was, you know, sort of shift the focus on let's look what is working, what are and and it doesn't have to all be academics that's that's I think you know my own sort of thinking, I mean we want to give, um, we want to strengthen the ability. of young people to then to have, strengthen their relationships. Um, to be able to talk about the uncomfortable things you know and be comfortable with that so you know those are some of the the ideas I think that are that are you know and I think we have to be nice to each other when we can I mean you know again I fall back on Emma because her stories are more fresh but like she makes um, does a waffle breakfast making for the staff you know once a week so whatever we can do um, is is critical but to deny the feelings and pretend like they don't exist or to sit in them for a long time is not going to be helpful to anybody. So yeah.
0: those are- I'm going to add something in there too, yeah. where I, you know, I've got the whole, like feel the feelings and that's hard. And I have struggled with that myself in the past where it's just like, but, but it hurts to feel it. Like, why would I want to feel this? Because you have to feel it a lot of times to get through it and to get some clarity on what you need to do next. And then, then the saying thank you and being nice to others, but we have to be nice to ourselves too. And a lot of times it's not just that you're being hard on yourself. I'm seeing a lot of parents and teachers be truly unkind or what we would call mean to somebody else. If they were doing that to somebody else, we'd be like, that's really mean. And they're doing it to themselves every day. They are beating themselves up over and they're just not being kind to themselves. Do you have suggestions on, you know, from again, just from your social work perspective, you know, I don't like the word and this whole trend of like self-care. I'm like a bubble bath isn't gonna solve it, guys. Like a, a new manicure, maybe that's fun. But it's, that's not what it is. What are some things that when you have that negative self-talk, as, especially in our disability community and our teachers and our parents that are carrying around this heavy load, what's some of that? How do we flip that around?
1: Yeah, I, I, I struggle with that word self-care too. Who knows? I did hear that we need to think of it more as um, community care. That you know, self-care often is like one more thing to do, right? And um, so there's something in that. I'm not quite sure all what, but I think it's that connecting with other people that we're not alone. That people have, um, you know, serve, have have found their resilience um, in community with others. Um, yeah, the bubble bath won't won't make it. However, um, you know, I I, I think. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. As, as no, well.
0: like take I, the bubble bath, but it's right, not going to solve right, it. <laughs> it's not gonna solve. Right,
1: right. And, you know, we're in it, you know, this, we're in it for the long run. And so um, fighting off uh, smaller bites, you know, taking what's the next step, you know, um, Václá Havel, um, the the poet and Czech, former Czech president talked about hope. You know, is is we to have hope doesn't mean that we'll achieve what we want, what we want, but hope is a sense that the next step we take is the right step, regardless of where it takes us. So, is is Micah going to be able? I mean, when Micah decided, as many kids did, that he wanted to go to college, kids with low IQs at back then didn't go to college. Um, you know, he we had to take one step at a time and meet with other people. So I think back and being setting more realistic expectations of what we can do, what we can do. And I will say the other thing is being in nature and you don't have to be in the middle of the woods. It's taking a walk around the block, look at one tree, look at the sky. I mean, there's something in there that is, teaching us something and that fresh air even though there might be some smoke in the air it's uh, it, it, it it's it's, it's it's healing for the soul. So those are a couple of mix, mix mixture of master. I love
0: it. I love it because that's going to, that's going to touch on so many different people who are listening. It's interesting that you've said community a few times, because we're actually in the process right now of uh, our master IP coach mentorship conference, and we're doing it virtually right now. We have an in-person one in the summer, but in winter it's virtual. And we had our first day yesterday and we had a hundred people in our community show up virtually and a teacher put into the chat box. I could cry because I'm so happy to see all of the faces of the people like who understand her. And I got chills and I was like, That's community like that's the power of it. So I'm going to encourage all of our our listeners. If you don't have a community, I want you to reach out. I want you to go over to MasterIepCoach.com and find that community. I'm going to make sure that all the links to Janice's website and her books and all of the resources um, that you need from Janice. We're going to have links for that. In the show notes. And remember, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five star review. Every time you leave a review, it helps more parents and teachers find the help that they need to help build IEPs that work in the real world. And of course, connect with our experts like Janice. Janice, thank you for being here today.
1: Oh, thank you. Thanks. And I'm so glad you emphasized the idea of help because one of the messages that I really encourage people is to learn how to ask for help, not with apology but with dignity and grace. And when we ask for help, that's what really builds the community. That's what builds the interdependence, not independence.
0: I love that. So I'm gonna leave it right there. You guys need to hit replay. You guys need to play that over and remind yourselves. Janice, that was beautiful. Thank you so much.